We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Bruce Pearl. Sean Shire. Sean Miller. I love the field of 16. I listen to you guys every morning. Are we still live? You can't wait on my radar. From the bluest of the blue bloods to the smallest of the mid-majors, the only way to keep up college basketball is through the field of 68. Welcome to another episode of The Pod is the Roof, the field of 68's very own UNC basketball podcast. I am your host, Jacob Karabatsis. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Riley Davis. We have a lot to get to today. We had an exhibition game in which UNC did what they should have done and curb stomped St. Augustine's. And we also have a miraculous mailbag from our lovely listeners with a bunch of questions stemming from lineups, stemming from non-con predictions, all the way up to what are our favorite bars. So we're going to be going through the whole Chapel Hill experience today. How are we doing, Riley? I'm doing well, man. I know it's it's cold where you are. It's cold where I am. It's in the 40s in Durham. Uh was in the 80s earlier this week. But, you know, it's, it's tough to complain when this weather means that college hoops is right around the corner. Um, and just personally, I like I like when it becomes, you know, a little bit of blue jean weather, some make some black jeans in there as well, getting my style bag a little bit. But how about you, man? How are you holding up? Doing well. Uh, it is cold. It's officially go to your car and start it 10 minutes before you get in it season. Uh, the windows and the windshields of cars are frosty. The grass is nice and crunchy and dewy in the morning. So that's only the sign of one thing, and that is the absolute peak of sports where we have the intersection of football and all of our basketball. But most importantly, we have college basketball in approximately four days, and that is just a lovely sight to see. This will actually be our last episode where we're doing preseason preview stuff. Next time we speak, there will be a game played. So let's get right into it, man. We take care of business in the exhibition, absolutely destroy, just like we should. One seventeen to fifty three, pretty uh, pretty close game, you know. <laughs> not a, uh, not too much of a blowout. So there was a lot of positives. Um, the same starting lineup that you know we saw in the in the secret scrimmage or that we heard about in the secret scrimmage. Uh. A few questions answered rotation-wise, but Withers was out. Seth Trimble was out, so it's going to be interesting to see how those guys end up getting their minutes. But, Riley, what were your biggest takeaways? Yeah, I think the first one that stuck out to me is just uh, trying to observe it from a stylistic standpoint. Because, like you said, there's not a ton you can necessarily take away from individual performances. I mean, it was awesome to see RJ score uh, 17 points in six minutes, but we know that he's a bucket. He's been a bucket for most of his career. And especially against a school like St. Augustine's that we can really just out talent that UNC uh, has the dogs to just overcome them. Maybe not a ton you can take away from that, but I love stylistically that Carolina looked to push the pace. That seemed to be a clear emphasis from the opening tip. You know, we've heard Hubert talk about it all offseason, that they're going to run more, that they're bringing back the secondary break. And it was 
pretty cool to see that in action, to see him make good on that promise, whether it was Cadeau running the break or Harrison Ingram. I thought Cormac Ryan uh, passed the ball really well when he was in there too. I, I love seeing the ball popping. I love seeing a lot of movement in general. Um, I think it was even the first possession of the game. Carolina ran a little give and go action out of a horn set with Armando and RJ. Um, it was just pretty to see, man. And it's something that I think, you know, we won't see it to that extent like as far as how potent and effective that was for you know a, a lot of the games I, I i think carolina is not just going to have its way with every opponent like they did with saint augustine um but i think a lot of that is translatable you know you want to see them looking to push you want to see them looking to run and being willing to share the ball it seems like there's good chemistry on and off the court yeah i mean that's it ultimately just goes back to you know hubert has kind of implemented a different style than Roy. And it's been at the end of two different spectrums. We've had the the championship run, and then we've had the probably most disappointing season ever in college basketball. So, I mean, it's, it's tough. And as a Red Sox fan, I can relate to that because they are the kings of being either first or worst. But it's... <laughs> it's one of those things where you love to see it just from a simple, like that's how they won when Roy was the coach. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's like, it's like deja vu all over again, as they say. I mean, you get to see it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was very impressed with the pace and I feel like when you do have two guards of Cadeau's and and Davis's caliber, you, you'd be doing yourself an injustice if you weren't playing with pace. Um, Mm -hmm. And I could go on about how impressive Cadeau was, but we've talked about him a lot, um, and we will continue to talk about him a lot because I think he really is special. But just to give spotlight elsewhere, um, I just have to say I'm so impressed by Harrison Ingram. He is going to be an absolute animal in this in this system, on this roster. He is – he's kind of – He's kind of the jack of all trades. He is the Swiss Army knife. The way that they utilized him was incredible. Um, this is, I mean, you got to think this is a guy who was a five-star McDonald's All-American. He goes to Stanford. He's never not, he's never been in the situation where he didn't have to be the guy on his team. Mm-hmm. And now he finally doesn't have to. Like he just gets to play basketball and everything that he was doing like they utilized him in every way sometimes he was the screener sometimes he was cutting back door sometimes he was spotting up sometimes he was the primary ball handler like he did everything and defensively I would say that you know he's no leaky in terms of like shutting down the opponent's best player like leaky was very special at that but he is our leaky this year in terms of this the mix of frame, foot speed, length, and ability to defend basically every position on the court, unless it's a really big traditional center. But other than that, like I mean, yeah, Harrison Ingram, he jumped, he jumped in my uh UNC player power rankings. If I was uh coming out with my list, he he jumped a few spots. Yeah, he was someone who really impressed me as well. Um, I I think. You like you said, we saw the full gamut of his skills from playing out of ball screens, from setting screens. Uh, you even mentioned him cutting back door. There was one play where he ended up he didn't score on it, but uh, Armando set a ball screen. RJ got him the ball. Mondo made the the pass off the short roll to find a cutting Ingram. He didn't finish through traffic. I think he might have drawn a foul, but still, it was it, like that kind of the, those kind of plays. It's like Carolina was sort of void of that ball movement last year, and I think when you watch Ingram, he is so cerebral with everything he does. He moves well without the ball. He he's really makes really smart decisions when he's on the ball. Uh, and like you mentioned his, his athleticism, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm a little skeptical that maybe he can stick onto guards. Like I think <laughs> leaky, you know, we saw him take Kihei Clark out of a get out of the game a couple of times. Like he really could guard shifty little point guards. Um, I think Ingram, you probably want to keep him on twos, threes, and fours in the occasional five. Um, but he was really active and made the most of having like a seven-one wingspan. I think that that's one other thing where if he does that every game and plays really smart and tough and he's active with his hands, that's going to be a huge boost for Carolina. Um, only thing, only critique 
that I give to him is there's a couple times where he he wasn't super strong around the basket or didn't quite have the touch to finish uh, like five feet away from the basket, which was one of the knocks on him at Stanford was his efficiency inside the arc was not where you wanted it to be from someone who's six 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 seven, uh, but still as a whole, I think he's going to be ex- exceptionally important to this team. Um, maybe our second most important player beyond Cadeau, you know, and I say that just because Carolina's needs Cadeau to be great uh, pretty quickly, maybe not quite immediately, but almost immediately to hit its ceiling. But having a player like Ingram, if he can have that third year breakout uh, and become a reliable third option or fourth option, do do all the little things, UNC is going to be pretty tough to stop. Yeah, I think, you know, it's he's just got a very unique blend. Like you mm-hmm. said, I mean, at his size, like six seven with the 7-1 wingspan, he does lack a bit of strength. Like he's not, he's not going to go up and barrel through contact and score. But what he does that you just, I feel like you just don't expect the first time you watch him play basketball is he's like weirdly twitchy for someone that size. Like he's, he's weirdly quick with the ball. Um, It's interesting. And I do, I love, you know, that we're going to be able to have him guard your Reese Beatmans and your your Tyrese Proctors and those like six four guards that are nightmares. I think that's going to be his his sweet spot. Um, but yeah, I mean, the only other thing I would say is I'm going to continue to shout out the energy guys on this pod with my guy Riley because we stand Zayden High, we stand James Akunquo. Um, so. <laughs> Real quick, real quick hitter, Zayden High takeaways. He's another guy where I think the motor is translatable. You're not going to see him put up a double-double very often this season. Maybe he can get one in some of the bye games. Uh, I, I would guess he'll average like four points a game or something. But I love that, you know, he's – he's when you watch a game like this, you you – in my opinion, what isn't translatable is if you saw high out there, like using his body to just out muscle or overpower the guys he's playing against. Like it's more so he he is making plays with how reactive he is, how, how he's always looking to grab a board, get a steal, like never let a play die. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, I think that's the best way I put it where um, he's just always looking to, to get a steal or to gamble, but he does it in a smart way. He's another guy I just think has a really high basketball IQ um, and has last year, he has last year at, I've mentioned it before at AZ compass where he didn't need the ball. He didn't need to score a ton to make an impact. Um, And I really think that's what this Carolina team is going to need in, in lineups where you're putting out guys like RJ and Cadeau and Cormac Ryan, who you have your two shot creators and a shooter or something. And you have Armando down low, cleaning up the mistakes and, grabbing offensive boards, like having an energy guy like that who can clean up some of some mistakes defensively and who's just going to hustle and make stuff happen. Like that's really valuable to have. So yeah, I, I continue to be high on Zayden high. And I think it's like, I mean, by Atlantis at the very latest by late December, early January, I think he's going to be the first forward slash big off the bench. Like, I yeah, think I just don't. I mean, we say this every week, but it's literally just the truth. I mean, Zayden has 10 and 11. Okunkwo had four and five, which is probably like I would guess a realistic expectation for what both of them would probably provide. Somewhere in the four to six points, four to six rebound range, but they're also probably going to get one to two blocks. They're going to be super annoying. They're going to be super physical. They're going to be all over the place. And that's really what you need them to be. Mm -hmm. And I do think Zayden obviously has a higher ceiling than a Kunkwo because he's a freshman. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I from what I've seen and from what UNC lacked last year, which was that physicality, which was that DNA on the court of like, we want it, we're gonna play hard, you're not gonna want it more than us. I I, I wish they could have been on the team last year because yeah. maybe maybe they wouldn't have had those issues. I mean, these guys are just competitors, and that's what you want to see. But I mean, yeah, it was a really solid performance. Um, I think it's a good sign going into to a game against Radford on Monday. Um, obviously, Radford is a lot better than St. Augustine's, but it's going to be interesting to see how the rotation pans out and everything. And that's about that's what we're about to talk about a little bit because uh, we have our own thoughts from from your mailbag questions 
about the rotation, about certain players, about, you know, bars, X factors, everything. We got a ton to get to. So, Riley, you can start from the top. Let the people know what the first question is. Yeah, this first group of questions is going to be pretty player specific. Uh, those were a uh, bunch of questions about the roster, how we see it shaking now, who, which players were high on, which ones were lower on, um, and where guys can fill in. And so the first one for this category is from Tristan Freeman, our guy over at Bustin Brackets, the site manager, uh, one of the hardest working men in the business. He covers both Robert Morris and Pitt basketball. He likes watching teams uh, that are a bit tough on the eyes. So Shout out to Tristan. And yes, I'm still making pit jokes, even though they beat UNC twice in a row. And like, I want to say it's like four times in the last five. Hopefully Carolina changes that this year. I'm still going to make fun of them because they finish bottom of the ACC every year. And you can do that when you have banners like UNC. But anyway, so Tristan Tristan said, is there someone who has the potential to be the leaky black standout defender of the team? Or will it be a group effort on that end? I think so. Yeah, go ahead. First off. Tristan, you're a legend. Um, I can't believe that you are so loyal to covering your squad that you were tweeting about Pitt playing a community college yesterday. That is some <laughs> that is some next level stuff, man. I think I could name you a million and one items before I got to that I would watch before I got to Pitt versus a community college. With all due respect. Wasn't but, it like Pitt, Pitt West Town or something? Yes. I, I saw... <laughs> it was a subsector. <laughs> like, I think I was... saw the name West Town and I was like, oh, is West Town some like freshman on Pitt? And then I realized, no, like it's, it's literally a tweet about some. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, dude, you know, maybe they're playing. Maybe that's like one of their standout performers of the night. And then it's like, oh, never mind. That's like the college up the street. All right. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think, ultimately, the short answer to the question is, yes, it will be a group effort when it's all said and done. And that is simply because I just don't, think there is a lot of talented individual defenders on this team, Um, which is fine. I think figuring it out from a group perspective and getting to that point where you can be like a top 50 defense is all you need. This defense just needs to be serviceable because of how good the offense is going to be. But I do think the other, the other end of it is the guy who has the potential to be the leaky defender. You know, I, I just mentioned him earlier is Ingram, and that's just because, okay, Leakey could guard every position. There wasn't a position he couldn't guard. He was 6'9", strong, long. Ingram has the length. He's not quite as stout as Leakey. He's not quite as tall. He's two inches shorter. But he can defend the two, three, and four. Um, def- He's easily the most versatile defender on this UNC team. So I think he's the closest thing to that leaky guy. But when it's all said and done, I mean, I think it's really just going to come down to team effort, communication. I think they are going to have to switch a lot. Um, Hopefully they choose to switch instead of go seven feet under every screen and leave shooters open. I get so tired of watching that. Um, And getting those guys like Zayden and Akunkwo in the game to play the weak side help 
to mm-hmm. cut off those weak side passing lanes, uh, block shots on the weak side. I think that's going to be where this defense thrives. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I, I think that would be the other big takeaway I even had from the exhibition is it was a return to that aggressive scheme we saw UNC deploy during their 2022 title run. Uh, excuse me, national championship game run. They don't get the title. But uh, there was more hard hedging. There was more switching one through four. Uh, there was more icing ball screens. And even beyond that, I loved how I mentioned Ingram had active hands. RJ was playing with active hands. Like they looked opportunistic and like they were trying to force turnovers, which uh, sort of been a a bit of a, like a, a just a black mark on uh, the defensive scheme, aside from just the conservative drop coverage we saw last year. Like even in 2022, when they made the title game, they didn't force turnovers and that uh, kind of limited transition opportunities. And so that was something that, I think Hubert was wanting to return to, and hopefully Carolina has enough depth. They can at least go like eight or nine deep, um, do a little press a little bit more to unleash some full court pressure and make some chaos happen that makes up for the fact that they don't have a bunch of great individual defenders. I think Armando on his own is a really underrated defender who's pretty mobile, um, but on the wing, they just they lack the athleticism that I think sort of caps the ceiling at them probably being a top 30 or top 25 defense. Like, if UNC ends the year as a top 30 defense, um, like that would be that would be a success, in my opinion, as long as they have a top 20, top 15, maybe top 10 offense. Uh, they'll, they'll be right there in the ACC title mix and will be tough to beat in March. Yeah, it's it ultimately comes down to two things. Like you and I said on last week's pod, if you're going to be bad at defense, be aggressive and gamble, which I did see like they are going to be aggressive and gamble this year. And two, like to me, it's, I just want to see effort. That's all. That's all I care about. Like, just show me that you care on both sides of the ball. Um, Next question is from the legend over at Sleepers Media, uh, friends of the pod, Card and Greg, Riley and I, you know, guys for L, but guy is the list guy for Sleepers. Um, Quite a story of how he ended up getting this role. So he has the first question um, at Guy F underscore, by the way, if you want to check him out. First question, I'm sure you're going to call Cap on, but uh, this is just for you, Riley. He says that he has usurped you on Carter Elliott's list of cool people. Do you care to comment? Do you not care to comment? Do you think this is a lie? Uh, I mean, well, Guy is... You know, he's a good bit younger than me, so maybe he's more with it on the trends and everything. But I, I don't necessarily think that's true. It sounds a little bit fabricated. Um, so, yeah, he can come have a conversation with me privately if he if he wants to know. But hey, <laughs> perhaps he can send you an email. That's his special. Send me an email. Yeah, he is a good emailer. <laughs> um. So the real question from our guy, Guy, is who scores more points, Cormac Ryan or Harrison Ingram? Yeah, this question, you know, before the exhibition, again, I don't want to look too much into like how guys play to the exhibition, but Ingram just looked like he was aggressively like going for his offense more and uh, than I expected him to. I still would probably give the edge to Cormac because I think the three point shooting is what will take him over the edge. Like he should get, I don't know what, three, four wide open attempts a game just from Armando either commanding double teams or like RJ or Cadeau driving and kicking out to him. Uh, so I think that that would favor Cormac, but I really think it could be sep- they could be separated by like one point per game average. Like one would average 13, the other average is 12, but I'd probably lean Cormac still, but I think it's going to be really close. I agree. I think the way I look at it is I would lean Cormac simply because I think Cormac's role on the team is more geared towards his offensive output like they know Ingram can be on the floor and impact the game in a lot of ways whereas you have a guy like Cormac and you know his main purpose for being out there is for you to draw up plays and for you to get him in sets where he gets open shots so Mm -hmm. that's what he's looking to do and I think he's going to be more consistent I think I think Cormac's going to be in that 12 to 16 range pretty much every game I do think Ingram will have the more high scoring games. Like I think we're going to get three or four Ingram games where it's like he eats and we're like, Oh my God, is he the primary option? 
Um, I think we do get three or four of those, but I also think we're going to get a bunch of, you know, 8.6 assists, seven rebound, two steal games from Ingram. So I think that's where that's where we get the the difference in the two extremes. So I would I would lean Cormac as well. Yeah, let's move on. Uh next question from player specifics. This one comes from Sam Lance at S Lance Hoops. Uh, he's over there hosting the Hum, a Kansas basketball podcast through the field of 68. Uh, Want to support guys who are in the same network as us, so shout out to them. Give their pot a listen. Give them a follow. Um, UNC Kansas, man, two of the best programs ever. So we got to – there's like a, a, a mutual respect there amid maybe slight rivalry. So I'll give them a shout. But Sam asks, which former UNC guard does Elliot Cadeau resemble most? Um, well – I am going to first off agree with your take from I, I want to say you've been saying it for maybe two weeks now, but I just the Cole Anthony comparison is very valid. Um, I just in recent memory, the only ones that make sense to me are Cole Anthony and Kobe White. And that's just because like the Cadeau is such a unique prospect like he's. You know, he's he's in the conversation for the best recruit we've had come in in the last 10 to 15 years, probably. So especially considering he's supposed to be a senior in high school right now and he's doing what he's doing. So that's just that's special. Um, I, I don't think it's fair to just call him a, a primary playmaking guard. He is a surgical passer. He's elite in the pick and roll. And I get that. but. This dude is probably also going to score, you know, 17 to 20 points in like a minimum of a third of the games that he plays in. So, like, it, it all depends on his role in the offense, but I think he's too good of a scorer to say, like, you know, he's Kendall Marshall, which, you know, that's no knock on Kendall Marshall. He's one of the one of the greats, but he definitely, like, never looked to score. And – I think that's a little bit of a difference is Cadeau is an elite playmaker, but he does definitely also look to score. Yeah, I, I've been saying Cole Anthony as well. Uh, 17 to 20 points in a third of our games. That would be, if that's the case, I might be booking a flight to Phoenix, JK. I'm telling you, bro. Don't, I don't know listen, if Cadeau could do that. I don't know. If the only reason third. I say that is because <laughs> realistically, once he's in the starting lineup, right? Outside of RJ, it's not like there's there's a bunch of scorers who are like if it's if he's having a night are going to take the ball out of his hand. So that's fair. I mean, I just think RJ is going to be the one getting seventeen to twenty in like a third to half the games. If I think like you know, it's interesting. I, I I'm on board with the Kobe White comp. I think um, don't think Cadeau is as good of a shooter as Kobe was. I don't think we're going to see Cadeau have the, that same like NBA step back move, like right off the bat that Kobe White did. But I'd say Cadeau's a better passer. Uh, Cole Anthony, it sticks out to me just with the athleticism and the burst and the crafty finishes through traffic. Uh, we flashed that again in the exhibition game, had that dunk in the lane that looked a lot like Cole Anthony. Um, but yeah, Cole was a, could be a pretty explosive scorer, as could Kobe. And I think Cadeau's going to have some nights like that, like uh, Cole Anthony's first game against Notre Dame when he just turned into God for like the final 10 minutes or Kobe White against Texas. You know, that's another one I think about. Both those dudes did it within their first five games. I I hope we see Cadeau have one of those games in the non-con, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's not until, let's say, January when he has that night where it's like, oh, shoot, he pops off for four, five, six threes and has, you know, 25 points and six or seven assists and we're here saying like this dude's a lottery pick you know like he's might not be back next year um so yeah he's i still yeah all that is to say is i lean cole anthony for the comp but i but i i would also add that because of the scoring around him whether it's armando whether it's rj whether it's cormac that we're not gonna see him going for 20 you know most nights like cole was yeah it's it's weird. I think that a lot of it will come down to kind of scheme and the fact that they are a really good team. Like the Cole team wasn't that great. So he kind of had free reign to to be that guy. And 
I do think there's a little bit of a difference. Like Cadeau's going to be playing a lot more within himself and within the offense. So that could definitely limit some of the numbers, but I do think Cole Anthony's the most accurate comparison. Um, next question from Duke Better, which is literally his at is Duke Better. Um, you know, would never advise you guys to follow a Duke page, but if you are going to dabble in the Duke waters, I would definitely recommend following Russell over at Duke Better. Um, he is one of the three hosts of the crazy cast, which is Field of 68's Duke podcast. And as Riley said earlier, we will always support our Field of 68 network brothers. So, all right, uh, Duke Better is asking, who is Riley's favorite player on the team and why is it Jalen Withers? So I'm going to need you to defend the Jalen Withers slander and then give your <laughs> actual favorite player. Yeah, when it comes to Withers, my my take on him has just been like, I think there there's a belief among the UNC faithful that he's going to be a shutdown defender, like a leaky black type who has all-conference potential. I don't see that with him. Um, I kind of think looking at his three years at Louisville – uh, he's been a role player, and even even last year, uh, defensively, I'm really want to track his progressions on that end. And don't get me wrong, like the entire Louisville season last year was an abomination. It, like you you win four games, you finish sub 300 on Kim Palm, you lose to Lenore Ryan at an exhibition game, and then then followed up by losing to Kentucky Wesley. Like you're gonna take a lot of flack for that, um, and you probably deserve it, especially when you're a program of Louisville's caliber. That being said, you know uh, Withers' tape on defense was. Um, not the most fundamental, not the most sound. Like he had a lot of bad closeouts, bit on some pump fakes that has me thinking, you know, he has the, the vertical athleticism, but I want to see better mobility from him. I want to see a little more like just being locked in and better technique. Cause I, I think that's what Carolina is going to need from him to just play hard for 15, 20 minutes a game, try to make some stuff happen with his athleticism. If it's, you know, coming over from the, from the weak side, blocking a shot, hitting corner threes, crashing the glass, catching, catching some lobs. That would be great to see. Um, so yeah, I, I like him in a, in a roll off the bench. That's very clear cut. You're here to catch lobs. You're here to shoot threes and you're here to play hard on defense. Um, so, yeah, that's that's uh, that's my defense of him because I know he caught a stray from, from Duke better. But my personal favorite player, you know, RJ gets the Lifetime Achievement Award. You could say the same about Mondo, five years here. But I love RJ just because he's a fellow R. Davis, um, and he's electric to watch when he catches fire. And he has tournament moments, like 30 points against Baylor, like his legacy is set. Uh, but I, I love Harrison Ingram, too, just after these first couple of times we've seen him. Plus, he is an elite interview. Dude is so charismatic, so easy to talk to, so energetic. And just when I when I was talking to him, it made me think, like, if I was a player on this team, I would want to follow his leadership. You know, he seems like a great locker room guy. So I, I'm going to go with Ingram if, you know, assuming that the, the OGs of Armando and RJ are off the table. Yeah, I, um, you know, RJ and Mondo – They've been here. They, they've they've had time to to corral their group of UNC fans. Like they've stamped their legacy. They're I would consider them. You know they'll they'll go down as UNC all time greats. I would say. Um, so for me, it's like you know we obviously have the guy that we stand that isn't going to be one of the stars of the team, but that's James Okunkwo. Love him. Um, in terms of a personality standpoint. He's he's way up there for me, but in terms of favorite player for me, it, it's got to be Cadeau. I mean, I know we talk about him all the time. I know he's he's young, coming into his first year, uh, reclassified. You know, he's here a year early, but dude, it's just watching this guy play, and it, it, it's something special. Like he has that change of pace. He has he has just this this savviness and this this way that he plays that people that age typically don't play. Like, it's just weird. Like his IQ is ahead of his time. And I also think he is, you know, probably the lone guy on this team who's going to be like a really good pro player. And I love people that can keep the program's legacy alive at the next level. So for that reason, I say Cadeau. Hey, great answer. Um, we'll move on kind of somewhat related to this is some rotation specific questions. Uh, and this one comes from Miroslav Holizdinki. <laughs> Hold on. Let me, let me make sure I'm saying that right. I want to put his, uh, 
His Twitter handle is MyRossLove, I think. It's a, it's one of the best Twitter handles I've ever seen. The dude's name is Miroslav, and his his handle is Miroslav. I mean, that is just, that's amazing. His last name is Holodinsky. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, he's our, our international correspondent, the, the best international UNC fan you'll find, a resident uh, of Ukraine. So shout out to Miroslav. We appreciate the support. And he sent us two questions. The first one was, who will play double-digit minutes off the bench? This, for me, it just comes down to what is the starting lineup. Um, you, you'd assume Cadeau doesn't start game one, so he's definitely going to play double. If, if he's not starting, he is playing double-digit minutes off the bench. I think that's just a given. Um, if they go with the lineup that you and I like, which is the Cadeau Davis um Cormac Ingram Baycott then Paxson will definitely play double digit minutes off the bench um I'll I also feel safe in saying that um at some point Zayden High probably plays double digit minutes off the bench at some point um other than that it's up in the air man because you know we haven't seen Withers or Trimble play yet we have no clue how those minutes are going to be distributed um and I, I, you know, J- Washington's looked great in in the exhibition and the scr- in the scrimmage. He apparently shined, but you know, I, I don't. Like, you can't play everybody, so it's it's going to be interesting. The only ones I feel confident in saying are whichever one doesn't start between Cadeau and Paxson, and at some point, Zayden High is definitely going to play double digit minutes. I might have a hot take for this one. I think we we might see Paxson start out. Let's say whenever we go to the Cadeau lineup, if that happens in Atlantis against, uh, let's see, who's that first game? Villanova that we'll probably play, assuming we can beat Northern uh, Northern Iowa. Um, I, I think Paxson will probably be getting 15-ish minutes a game then. I think by the time we get to like the heart of conference play, we're going to see Seth Trimble start to eat into some of those minutes. I can and see that's it. because that's because like he fulfills a need as far as a lockdown defender. We didn't even mention him when we talked about defense. I think he's by far the best perimeter defender on the team. And he's I think he's only six three, maybe six four, but he's built like a tank. He's got long arms, super freaking bouncy, super athletic in general. Um, if he can get in the game and just hit corner threes and make smart passes, that's literally all Carolina's gonna need him to do if he's sharing the court with RJ and Cadell. Just be a secondary or not even you don't even necessarily have to be a secondary playmaker. Just make smart passes and knock down open shots, attack closeouts and shut down like the other team's best perimeter option. You know, whether it's like a assuming it's like a six, six wing or a guard or something. So, yeah, that's my hot take with Seth. I think he gets there eventually. It just might not be right away. No, I agree, especially if they, you know, when Cadeau is an everyday starter it makes a lot of sense to sub Trimble in for Cadeau, especially in those gritty conference games where you need that, that hustle. You need that physical perimeter defense, put him, put Trimble out there next to RJ and, you know, kind of swap the minutes like that. Now I definitely see that happening. I definitely think there's a way where like in less packs and just absolutely lights it up. He's not really in the rotation unless it's, complete like offensive substitution last yeah. second type of thing um mm-hmm. next one from a legend in the college basketball community kevin sweeney at cbb underscore central listen he he's one of the great ones man um if you're not following him i'm questioning your love for college hoops he writes stuff all the time over at sports illustrated um you, you got to check him out he asked us if we were coaching Riley, how would we balance two big looks such as a Conquo Washington at the four with smaller looks like Ingram at the four? Yeah, I mean, we've made no mistake letting know our personal preferences. We want to rock out with that small ball lineup. I'd start that from the jump. I think just the offensive ceiling, the offensive potency with that. This team's going to win games primarily with offense. Um, put your best players on the floor. Let them go to work. Push tempo. Get buckets. Um 
But then, like like Sweeney said, there's going to be times where UNC needs to go big. Think about like a matchup with UConn. Um, for example, Clemson has some good size on the perimeter. Duke can go big. That That's where UNC is going to need to explore, experiment with some, some bigger lineups. Um, so, yeah, I, again, I still think long-term Zayden High is going to be earning the, the majority of the like backup four minutes. And, you know, especially if you can, you can move Ingram to the three for 10, 15 minutes a game, uh, which say he's playing like 15 minutes at the four, that leaves 25 minutes up for grabs uh, that I guess Washington high withers will all let it sort out. I think Oconquo probably settles in as a backup five to Armando and like a anywhere from five to 10 minute a game type of role. But yeah, I think, We've already hit on how we, the ways that high can impact the game. And then when it comes down to either Washington or Withers, I'd lean toward whoever is providing a bigger offensive spark. Like if if Withers shoots 36 or 37% from three, I mean, he probably gets those minutes. You know, uh, again, mentioned last week that Withers only has one season shooting above, I think, 30%. Maybe as a, his first year at Louisville, he shot like 37-ish percent from three on a small uh, on small volume. But, you know, that's more his season last year of being able to make 43s. That's more than Jalen Washington's done at this point. So I'd say he's a little more proven. Uh, and I think he can be a viable option in, in spurts as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, also, you just got a brief appearance from my dog. Love to see it. He had to get on the <laughs> pod for a little bit. But um, so for me, I think it literally just all comes down to to matchups. I mean, I think that is the beauty of the depth that this team has. It literally comes down to what do we need that night? Like, do we need to play a two big lineup? Um, do we need to play a small lineup? I think that is the beauty. It's also going to make it very hard for Hubert. And it's also why I think this is a crucial year to see, you know, how good of a coach Hubert actually is, because how is he going to balance all this? But yeah, I mean, I think the key is, to me, you just have to have three shooters on the court at all times. Um, I have no problem with going a Kunkwo Baycott, a Kunkwo High, High Baycott, so long as you have, like, Davis, Kudo, Cormac. Davis, like, you can't, you can't put those guys on the court with, with three non – with – two other non-shooters like you just have to have three shooters I think as long as he does keep three shooters on the court at all times which he has proven to kind of see the importance of that in the exhibition game especially like he knows that shooters have to be on the court I think as long as that happens we're fine especially when the guys like Jay if you're playing Jalen if you're playing Withers they can shoot so they you know like realistically there there are possibilities of like a mega like a mega big lineup with withers zayden and mondo with rj and Cadeau. like if they really mm-hmm. wanted to do that it would work so i mean i think that's the key just make sure that shooting is always on the court yeah i'm with you on that uh, should we move to the next one from miroslav and get in a little bit of the, the schedules yes this is where it's fun yeah, so here Miroslav, he asked us to go on record and produce, predict the non-con record. So I'll I'll toss it to you first, JK. What you what you got with this with this schedule? All right. So I think we can look at the let's go ahead and and say this. Let's go ahead and say Charleston Southern, Radford, Lehigh, Riverside, Northern Iowa. Are are we cool with saying that's five dubs right there? I think those are five dubs. Northern right. Iowa might be a little bit scary. Northern they Iowa's will. not bad. They're gonna they're gonna Listen, hit some threes and make us sweat. I'm sure, but we should. Ever since they upset Kansas, man, they're just a thorn in the side of every yep. every big team they play. They've but upset us before. Like shoot, they man, have. <laughs> but that Bahamas, let's, Bahamas let's hope. Weird. Let's hope that the that the DNA of the football team doesn't wear off on the DNA of the basketball team. That's that's what we really have to hope for. Um. <laughs> So let's say that's five dubs. Um, and then I I do feel comfortable saying we beat Texas Tech or Villanova. I think Vil- Texas Tech will, will definitely beat. Villanova will be tough. But I just, you know, Justin Moore is a bucket. They picked up a lot in the portal. 
but I just think we match up with them great. And then and as far as Texas Tech goes, you know, they're going through like a whole entire rebrand right now. So they do have talent, and I, McCaslin will eventually turn that program around, but it's not going to be immediately. So I feel have, comfortable I mean, saying be, they win that. They'll, they'll be tough defensively, Texas Tech, but like they might struggle to score 50 points in a game. Yeah. I really hope this doesn't come back to bite me because I think McCaslin is a really good coach. Like He's said, great. But I'm glad Carolina can get them in November, you know, because I so think if we play them in March, it'd be a little bit different. Oh, I agree. Cause he's one of those guys that like he's gonna have his dudes playing yeah, playing March basketball by the end of January, middle of January. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that's six wins. I do think Arkansas is gonna be a very early wake up call for this team. I mean, I like Arkansas might annihilate us. They have coveted UNC killer L Ellis mixed with just loads of size like mm-hmm. not just any size either they have like quick size size that is it's it's tough man arkansas is they're loaded from a talent perspective and muscleman is just a really freaking good coach yeah i'm with you i think muscleman and especially in a tournament setting big advantage there just to have a coach like that who can find good matchups exploit them um, and then, yeah, it's, I would say that the template of that roster is the blueprint to beat UNC this year, length at every position, athleticism at every position. Uh, the one way I could see UNC coming out on top is if they catch fire from three, cause I don't think Arkansas is going to be a good three point shooting team, but yeah, that, that arena, uh, the Imperial ballroom or whatever it's called is so weird. Cause it's literally in a hotel, like conference room that they turn into a basketball court, like weird stuff happens in Atlantis. And I wouldn't be surprised if Arkansas turns that into like a, a gritty game and end up with a double digit win there. How about Tennessee? So, How do you think they project against Tennessee? I'm I'm not the biggest fan of the matchup, dude. I'm not gonna lie. I think the the Dalton Connect poster just has me like has me shaking in my boots a little bit. Also, I do think people kind of forget how good they are when when Zakai Ziegler is like there. I mean it's it's they they beat a Duke team that was playing like some of the best basketball in the nation last year with no Zakai. Yeah, I'm scared of Tennessee. They're like the team that is has been the, the blueprint the blueprint of recipe for disaster for UNC because they're physical, they can win messy games. And if they have to, they will come into the Dean Dome and win 62 to 55. So it, Gosh, it's I scary. Hope doesn't happen. I hope that doesn't happen. I, I I still, my bold pick is that UNC wins that one and maybe even wins by double digits because Carolina tends to play really well at home in these non-conference challenges. Um, it's happened under Hubert, happened under Roy. And yeah, Dalton Connect is going to give us fits because I don't know if we have anyone who can check him. But at the same time... Ziegler's probably not going to be fully healthy then. Vescovy's not going to be fully healthy. And I don't really know if, like, uh, Jordan Ganey or Jemai Meshack, like, Meshack's a good defender, but I think we could give them some problems with Cadeau and Davis on that, too. So, uh, yeah. but I, I just I just like the home crowd coming through in the clutch there and just being a rowdy environment. Um, going on to the next big games with UConn and Kentucky, I think Carolina loses to Connecticut. Uh, I do, too. Another, another size advantage. UConn tough matchup for us Donovan Kling and I expect to be an All-American this year um it'll be a good battle with him and Armando but I just I think Klingon has more natural talent there um Kentucky this is the one where I think UNC gets over the hump and beats the Cats because we have lost to them the last I guess last time we played them Kobe White team lost to them as well like they've sort of had our number in this uh the CBS Sports Classic but yeah, they're young. They're still going to be figuring out their rotation and their lineups. Um, I just think UNC, I think Kentucky probably has a higher ceiling come tournament time, but I think UNC is going to be better to start the year. Oh, I mean, listen, when I'm looking at the schedule, not including Atlantis, because we're going to run into some ranked opponents there. Um, you've got three ranked teams on the schedule. I have them beating Kentucky and losing to the other two um, and then losing to Arkansas and Florida State, Oklahoma, 
I have them winning those games. I have them going nine and three in non-con. I'll say that loud and proud. I genuinely think nine and three is probably like nine and three is probably the floor. Mm-hmm. Like there's an avenue. Just, I'm afraid that's be- not the floor. I'm afraid like the floor is like five losses. <laughs> I don't the mean to be pessimistic, reason, but I but I, I got a little bit of pessimism in me. <laughs> the only reason I say that is because if let's say they do lose to Villanova, all that's doing to in my opinion is just instead of losing to Arkansas, they lost to Villanova. So it's like they're not gonna get an extra loss. And I, I, I just I just can't see them losing to any of the non-ranked teams on this non-con. Like yeah. except Oklahoma. I mean, it, Oklahoma is the one exception. They got good guards. Oklahoma does. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if like UNC is coming in really high off of like a Kentucky win, especially if they beat UConn too. They got, if they somehow, if they get both those wins, uh, maybe they're a little too high on themselves and Oklahoma makes us crush back to earth or something. I think that game helps that it's in Charlotte though. Should be a very pro UNC crowd. I can't imagine there's going to be more than like 15% Oklahoma fans there. Um, But yeah, I, I still like, Again, I don't mean to be pessimistic because I I like what Hubert's shown so far with what he wants to do both on offense and defense. I think these pieces fit well around RJ and Armando, but there's still a fear in the back of my mind that's like UNC has struggled a ton against Q1 opponents in the non-conference like the last four years. Um, even when Roy those last two years of Roy, it's been something that they can't they can't get over the hump for some reason in November and December. So that's that's where my fear is. Like, I hope we don't start ACC play as like a seven and five team that's long fallen out of the AP bowl. You know? Yeah, I mean, I definitely get that. I have the concerns too. Like, especially you've got last year looming on your mind, and then you know, to me, like after what I saw last year, like we still don't really know how great Hubert is. Like, it's there's a lot of question marks and. I think the reason I'm high on the non-con is just literally simply for the fact that I don't think our non-con, I think our non-con is the perfect balance of it's not too tough. Like we're not running a gauntlet, but we're also playing enough games to know what we're made of and boost the resume for March. Mm -hmm. So that's the real reason I think it, I just don't think our non-cons like, like there's some teams playing some gauntlets this year. It's, I'm just glad UNC is not one of those because then, yeah, yeah no no away games. We'd be looking at some – in some dangerous territory. Um, All right, now we're getting into the fun ones, man. Um, So this is from Zach Buckler, at Zach underscore Buckler. Great question for any UNC student who has been in the environment before. As former students, any thoughts on the student seating situation in the Dean Dome? Riley, what are your thoughts? Yeah, pretty easily. I I think the Dean Dome needs to be renovated uh, or build a new arena, whatever you need to do. The biggest change that I would make, you know, you want to keep the boosters happy. They're funding the NIL collective. They fund scholarships. They get really good seats, which I think, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? leaves the students out to dry a little bit in the upper bowl, upper upper level. Um, but with that, like the lower bowl is never like completely lit. You know, there's a lot of people sitting down, a lot of people not cheering. Um, and I will, I will say like, even amid this like structural challenge, the Dean Dome can be a pretty live environment on the right game. It's not always bumping. I wish it was, but especially a good non-conference bout, nice little ACC contest in, in February when the stakes are getting really high. It gets rocking. It gets bumping, especially the Duke game. Duke game atmosphere is incredible. But yeah, I'd love to see a renovation where you, you don't need to have 22,000 seats there. I think in a post-COVID world, we're not seeing as many people go to live sports events. Pair that down to 15,000 or so. Make it louder. Add some box seating, add some luxury suites. You keep the the people with the deep pockets. They stay happy. They're in their comfortable seats. They drink their Prosecco. They eat their Gouda cheese. Uh, They live into that wine and cheese crowd label that Carolina fans so often get. Do that. Give more seats to students. Uh, And like Carolina students, man, stop caring so much about school just for like basketball season. You know, don't don't kill yourself studying so hard that you miss basketball games. Go out to the game, support get loud and and let's make this a good, a good home court advantage. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many issues, man. Like 
the way that the student sections are placed just really sucks. I mean, you literally have to get there. Even it doesn't matter if they're playing Syracuse on like a random Tuesday. If you want good seats, the only options are in the risers or in the seats right behind the risers, which is right near Roy and all those guys. You're going to have to get there four and a half or five hours early. And like most people on a random Tuesday can't do that. And it's like everyone tries, though, because if you're not there, then you're like in the freaking upper level. And this is the only thing I would say is, you know, I don't want to give Duke too much credit, but. (laughs) <laughs> Their stadium seats 12,000 less people than ours. They have boosters that give plenty of money to their basketball program, and yet they have zero problem getting their entire student section right there on the court, which is what makes that environment so hostile. Um, That's the only thing I'd say. I just hate it. Like, even being on the risers, like, you're behind a goal. Like it kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Like I've done it. I did it for the Duke game my senior year, but it just kind of sucks. I mean, I would much rather them kind of move everything like this way. Like if they're not going to build boxes, take those those boosters and move them this way to where they're <laughs> there in that Roy Williams section to where it's mm-hmm. not a bad seat at all. Mm-hmm. And then let the students be in the middle. Mm-hmm. Like let the students be in the middle. That's my take on it. Also, shout out to you with some really good math. I don't know if you looked this up beforehand. Cameron, I just looked it up. Cameron holds 9,000. The Dean Dome holds 21,000. You were spot on when you said it was a complete guess. <laughs> it was a complete guess. <laughs> All right, we'll wrap, we'll wrap it up. Last question. We have another fun one. Uh, it's kind of a two joint questions uh from joshua dolgoff j dolgoff three he said start bench cut bars in chapel hill he's not goodfellows and bobs and then somewhat relatedly myron goodman asked what's the best spot to pregame in chapel hill uh for someone who hasn't been there in a while so i'll turn it over to you um god we'll probably disagree here um yeah you're the recent grad i'm the i'm the seasoned vet here that it's probably changed since i was a student (laughs) very true so i could tell you now um, for me personally, like the music, the dancing, um, the drinks are still cheap. Uh, that like they have twelve different lit flavors, and they're like seven bucks each. So I'm gonna say Goodfellas is my start, and I don't. I think Goodfellas is one of those places that like fluctuates. Like there will be four years where no one goes. And then there will be four years where everyone goes. When I was there, everyone was going. So I'm going to start fellows. The only reason I'm benching he's not is simply because of the weather factor. You need to have good weather to go there. It's small inside. So if the weather's bad and it's packed, there's not much to do. But if we're talking good weather, then I'm going to start he's not, you know, every day. But the weather factor does does take it into the bench for me. And then I'm cutting bobs just simply because, like, I didn't ever really go there. Like I went there a couple times. Um, I just never was impressed. Like I've been to the one at ECU and they're just like completely different places. So, I mean, it's just not, I don't know. I just never really went to Bob's. Yeah. For me, like you mentioned with Goodfellas, no one went to Goodfellas when I was a student. I've been there exactly one time. Uh, do they? They're, that's the pickleback place, isn't the it? Pickleback place. Okay, I guess I had some friends who might have gone to do picklebacks like every once in a while, but yeah, I never went to Goodfellas. I'm starting. He's not just because it's a staple. It's classic. Uh, who doesn't love a blue cup? When you go to He's Not on a sunny day, specifically in the afternoon, like a Wednesday afternoon, really tough to beat. I'm still sort of sentimental to the the indoor area upstairs where the ceilings are really low, the floor sticky, and it's just mm. kind of dingy. Like good memories there still. Um, I'm gonna bench Bob's. Like Bob's is fine. I didn't go there a ton, but I like the little outdoor patio area and uh sneaky good place to watch a UNC basketball game. I watched UNC beat NC State there in Raleigh on a Marcus Page buzzer beater, one of like my junior year, I think. So yeah, good memories at Bob's. Um, even though it was not in the the frequent rotation, also has the cover that was pretty expensive. Uh, and then I'm cutting Goodfellows and 
for reasons already mentioned. And if I can give a shout out to a more out there bar uh, that doesn't get enough love in Chapel Hill, it's Linda's because Linda's has amazing wings, uh, great tots, always good craft beer on tap. So good vibes at Linda's, man. I always, I always love to usually go to Linda's on a Thursday and get some wings and get a good beer and just enjoy time with friends. Linda's does have elite tater tots. Can't confirm. Um, And to answer your question, Myron, dude, if you're rolling up and it's not raining outside, you got a pregame at he's not, man. It's it's eight to ten bucks, depending on if you get domestic or, or import or whatever beer choice you have. It's a blue cup. It's massive. You get to you get to keep the cup as a souvenir to say you went to he's not. It's it's good times, man. There's always music. That's where you're that's where you gotta go if you're looking to pregame in Chapel Hill. I mean, that's just a fact. But yeah. I mean, that's the last of the questions. What a fun time, man, answering all you guys' mailbags. We will definitely be revisiting the mailbag later on in the season. We we might have to do a couple more, man, a little midseason mailbag and all that stuff. But listen, like I said earlier, next time we talk to you guys, UNC will have played a game, um, and we will be breaking that down. Make sure you guys are clicking the subscribe button on this second channel. Make sure you guys are, you know, following our pod at the pod is the roof on Twitter, following us on Twitter to stay up to date with UNC hoops all season long. Be safe. Enjoy a Tar Heel basketball game on Monday. Hopefully enjoy a football dub on Saturday. And we'll see you guys next time. This is Bruce Pearl. Sean Shire. Sean Miller. I love the field of 16. I listen to you guys every morning. Are we still live? UConn was on my radar. From the bluest of the blue bloods to the smallest of the mid-majors, the only way to keep up with college basketball is through the field of 68.